client, the, the assistant city manager, of course, was in the meeting. And uh, anyway, you're like, I got to go. I got to record a podcast. No, no, it was the other way around. It, 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 they would wait. I made them wait for me. And then my wife called and said, can you come pick me up? And she just works downtown. So I, that's when I, I said, I'll be back here. I can pick her up. And then here we go. I'm in. I can't wait. Thank you for having well, me. I really do appreciate it. Well, it's going to be fun. I think this is uh, this is going to be my most challenging uh, interview to date. Uh, try to figure out how to keep Howard Blackson uh, on on task here. Uh, uh, you know. Well, yeah, I, I mean, think... you've had great guests, but, but when you got people like Nathan Norris, just softball, there's nothing there. Uh, I mean, <laughs> well, I'm not you need to give yourself a challenge. <laughs> I'm not going to give any softball questions either. So I'm, I'm I mean, kidding. first of all, it's like. You, here you are. You're in California, which is you know the technology hub of the world, and you have the worst video feed of anybody. <laughs> and that's because I have a crap top. My company gave me a crap top, which is uh, um, the lesser of a of a of a laptop. And uh, no, I I don't disagree. And and it's just it couldn't be worse. Anyway, I'm so excited <laughs> to be here. I love talking about this stuff. And um, and so, are we recording? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, we're recording, man. We're live. We're we're rolling. So you're lucky that we're not like we're you're lucky we're not streaming live on YouTube. Although that might be something we do at some point, you know. Just for yeah, fun. I agree. Uh, Howard Blackson, uh, San Diego's most famous urbanist. Thank you for joining me. It's been a while. <laughs> it has. It's good to see you, and thank you for um, uh, asking me. Thank you uh, for. Uh, taking the time because um, I haven't been doing that many podcasts. I, I, you know, we're, we're the, you're, you're one of my favorite uh, Gen X cheerleaders and uh, <laughs> I'm, um, I'm lucky to be in the Gen X. I, I barely made it uh, into the uh, Gen X forum, but um, you know, it's either very, very young people um, and um, uh, are, are, are in the, in the mix. I haven't done a podcast, you know, COVID, uh, we were doing um, interviews with uh, YouTube interviews and things of that nature. And then post COVID, everybody like got back to work and it kind of slipped mm -hmm. off. And so here we are uh, recording and, and getting back out there again. So thanks. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you for joining me. It's, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, e even though I do have to ask you like straight off the bat, you know, Howard, why do you hate American cities so much? I, I don't, I don't hate American <laughs> cities. I hate, I hate us West cities, um, a lot, especially the Southwest, uh, Phoenix and, uh, the Los Angeles and, uh, even though Los Angeles does kind of come and go, it has its moments and then they're fleeting and then it's a sucky city and then it comes back and it's a great city again. I can't stand Las Vegas. Las Vegas is the absolute worst of American, uh, um, exceptionalism unexceptionalism it, and um, the, you have to admit it's the best and the worst all at the same time. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it, it encapsulates the, the condition of the American psyche in, in our civilization. And, um, mm -hmm. and it makes you cry when you look at it. <laughs> and um, luckily, you know, and now it's all burning up and, and so it's 130 degrees there today. And, mm -hmm. uh, but anyway, I, it's I, not that I don't hate American cities, uh, but it's just that the the grid is monotonous. It was done to steal land as quickly as possible in the U.S. West before anybody knew we were really there, um, and um, and it's it's relentless. So I do appreciate an older you know city of San Diego's was a law of the Indies, been around for a while, uh, a Taos, New Mexico, places of great character and things like that. New Orleans, of course, and so. Um, I do love uh, Chicago is America's greatest city. New York is actually not an American city. New York is an international city. It's on the scale of a of a of a of a Delhi or a Mexico City or a Tokyo. There, it's I not of America. Yeah, and so the greatest the greatest American city, in my opinion, is is Chicago, and that's on a yeah, grid. So fair. you should be happy. Yeah, and uh, but mm -hmm. but they that and but um um the rest of it get uh, who cares? Kansas City. Uh, Memphis, <laughs> Louisville. There, well, Howard, Howard, and I have uh, Dallas debated about grids for Houston. years. Houston, yes, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Anyway, but there are some wonderful grids, like Savannah's a grid. You know, yeah, there are wonderful. I it, 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 the irony of you and I debating about grids, where I was the 
the um, cranky street guy and you were the grid guy is that at placemakers where, where we started uh, the debates where I worked with Jeff Dyer and Bill Dennis, the great like Bill Dennis, they were the cranky street guys and I was the grid guy. And here I am arguing against my own, what I do to, with you. But that was really just to kind of like this podcast, just to get out there and, 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 and get some ideas in the public realm so people yeah. can talk about it. Well, I'm actually, you know, in, in all seriousness, I wonder if you would describe, there's probably, you know, a bunch of people who listen who might not associate the difference between like a law of the Indies type city and, and a standard Western American grid city. How, how would you describe those and, and, uh, and what are some of the better examples? You mentioned San Diego, Santa Fe. What are some of the better examples in your mind? Yeah. Uh, the, the difference is that the law of the Indies of course was put on a grid, um, because it is too easy to subdivide. It was easy to subdivide, but it was also based on a central public space. So you could save the cattle, you could protect the cattle at night um, and have a, a, a green in the middle. And then you had your public buildings around the green. So there was this authoritarian, authoritative, uh, real standard square that was very man-made in the you know in the middle of the wilderness or, you know, you're, you're in the middle of nature, you're lucky to have water and you're not being, uh, killed by things um so there was it, the 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 law of the indies was more of an authoritarian settlement pattern that said i'm in charge and i'm very formal here in this very informal wilderness the, the u.s west grid was more of a of a subdivision um uh, scam uh to subdivide land as quickly as possible uh with surveys and surveys and 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 it, so it was just a you know giant land grab speculative land grab um and there was no center idea. There was no center public space, no center governance space. There was no uh, a delineation between public and private land. It was all private land within public streetscapes, public street networks. Um, so I think they're quite different. One's one's a capitalistic um, uh, speculation. The other one is a is a, is a dominating authoritarian sort of uh, pattern. Even though they're similar. Yeah the way they're arranged is quite different. So then in San Diego, luckily we have the old town, which the old town has the nice square, has the public buildings. They're all historic now. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's under glass. It's a historic um, district. And then you have the new town. The downtown is based on the grid and it has a terrible square. Well, Horton Plaza was carved out of a half of a half of a block. And uh, we ended up with a Balboa park, which was because of the era of, of, of the um, eight, uh, mid century of, of Clearing in the woods. We told Rabowski's, uh, Rabinsky's book about Frank uh, Frederick Law Olmsted creating Central Park, which was the idea was a a public space uh, for people that wasn't just the King's Land. So the big public space was uh, was a was a metaphor for the big idea of of public land for uh, public for people, the common people, and that was the 1840s, 1850s, late 1840s, early 1850s, and then. San Diego has a big public park like that because, and so does um, Golden Gate Park in um, in San Francisco. Uh, St. Louis had its big forest park. The, the 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 big park idea was of that era. I'm bringing that up because the the, um, the grid. Uh, if most cities are built in these um, um, layers of of planning eras and and so whenever your city was established whatever era that was of planning you get those things and then you can see how they build up over time um to create that character of your place so they're all a little different pioneer parks were a big deal there's a pioneer park in seattle a pioneer park in in portland and a pioneer park or whatever downtown la's park the the pioneer park was a thing of that era too a little later than san diego because san diego had been around with the for 400 years uh, with the spanish um pat planning pattern so anyway the grids become different my uh favorites are places like uh law of the indies uh taos um um uh, las cruces the um the little town outside of las cruces um the name escapes me but you see these same patterns of this really nice square with the church and the government building on the end so the the issue is is that uh, the the law of the Indies grid was 
more of the authoritative trying to show strength, trying to show civilization had landed and it's very formal in this informal natural wilderness. And then the U.S. grid the, the, was really just a land speculation, um, a subdivision tool to, to develop private land as quickly as possible. It had no, it was for capitalism. It was for um, creating towns, making places quickly, not for a, you know, making a show of who we are and are establishing our culture or anything like that, which is really our culture is just capitalistic anyway. And so the, there's no formal squares or plazas that came out of that. Uh, San Diego's uh, Horton Plaza was carved out. And that, that's true with even most U.S. West cities, like the Pioneer Parks in Seattle, Portland, um, downtown L.A. Um, the, the, those, those parks were carved out of the grid um, at strange intersections or, or uh, main intersections, um, but not from the actual subdivision, like the Law of the Indies was specifically making squares and, and like Savannah mm -hmm. Square. Yeah. So they're inherently yeah, nice. I mean, it's interesting you mentioned the defensive mechanism of the law of the Indies town because that was actually part of the original tension of the Savannah Squares too. But, you know, our, yeah. our, our good friend Lee Sobel has also, you may remember, has documented all the different grid towns and grid types around the country, uh, and especially what he focused on were um, county seats. And, yeah. Um, uh, because they're really in the county seats, there were courthouse squares, town squares, et cetera, that were, yeah. that were functionally part of the plan originally. Right. Yeah. But that, that, that fell apart um, after you get west of the, uh, west of the, um, oh gosh, uh, Rio Grande, or, um, the, the, you know, west of Dallas, mm -hmm. uh, the, that all fell apart. Those are, those, those are actually from the 1840s and, U.S. West really didn't hit till the 1880s, uh, mm -hmm. the, the little a little later, 1860s, 1880s, and and that right. gets back to the point of trends. So what uh, San Diego is is older than Los Angeles or or Seattle or Portland, because the Spaniards had landed there and had formed a town so early. Um, um, uh, 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 so in the 18 late 1840s is when the Great Park we we did the the, the same thing, Central Park. Same thing as San Francisco's Golden Gate Park. Same thing as uh, St. Louis's uh, uh, Forest Park. It was the Grand Park idea, which was a trend. And so mm -hmm. we'll hopefully yep. we'll talk about the new urbanism and the trend that that has brought to city making in the U.S. and U.S. West specifically, because our cities are just a series of planning trends layered on top of each other. Well, yeah, I think that's an interesting way to, to think about it, you know, the, although I think you could probably argue that a lot of the planning, actual planning trends didn't happen until much later towards starting in like the late 19th century. And sure. Uh, there but, were, um, you know, there was. What? I don't know. I was going to say there were certainly planned communities before that. And the law of the Indies was one example in the Southwest, but there weren't a lot of. Uh, what you would call formal planning in most of the development of the United States after the colonial era for a long time. Agreed. Yeah. No, I, that, I, I, until yeah. the mobility changed and, you know, until the, how you get around right. changed and streetcar changed to that. But right. the, the, the idea though, that, um, of, of trends, uh, you know, the, the, and I hope we get into the discussion of the new urbanism because that's how we met um, um, that's how, yeah. that's how we've, we've, uh, established our, our relationships and our conversations is through that. And, um, it, it reminds me of the thing that I was start out was like, there, there was a, there was the town and country, uh, planning, uh, era of the 18th mm -hmm. there, then it led into, you know, the, the 20th century, the liberal reform right. that was happening, created all, a lot of the trends that we see today too. And, um, and they created real physical outcomes and, and and so i think you're going to see more of these you know as technology and our civilization rushes into whatever this future is the trends in the uh, innovations you know get shorter and shorter to intervals instead of it being 500 years between trends into 100 years to 50 years to 20 years it's now 15 minutes 15 minutes yeah, city, you know, it'll be no it'll doubt. be five minutes yeah so anyway so Howard, I don't know what I meant by that. <laughs> no, I, what was your question again? Oh yeah, why do I hate U.S. cities? Uh. <laughs> cities, cities planning, whatever. Um, 
Howard, for people who don't know you, um, why don't you tell, talk a little bit about your background? I know you had the misfortune to attend University of Texas. Uh-huh. Kind of the, the Judas, the Judas of every sports conference that it's uh, ever been part of. But, um, we're we're back, baby. Uh, we're back. Uh, yes, <laughs> that's a good that's a good start. So at the University of Texas, I um, I didn't think much about all this except I uh, I got my degree in cartography uh, geography uh, because I I was doing mapping and cartography was the was the thing and I was learning you know, first generation AutoCAD it was actually fourth but. AutoCAD for, but um, I was doing cartography. And then when I graduated from the University of Texas, I had, I'm from San Diego, California. I had to live in Texas for high school and college, which made me very angry. So when I graduated, I moved straight to Hawaii, just bypassed San Diego and said, I'm gonna go straight, I'm gonna surf for a while and all the surfing I missed in in those formidable years. Um, And I was able to get a job with a landscape architect planning uh, company that, during a time when Hawaii was transitioning from uh, agriculture, sugarcane, sugar, and, 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 and banana production that was moving, that was leaving to resorts. And so I was planning, master planning large resorts and housing tracks and golf courses and things of that nature. Um, and that's when I first got in to, really into the business. Um, but I didn't, I, I was really just working to, um, I'm going to tell you my new urbanist story is what you're getting. Like you get from every sure. urbanist. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, uh, I was just I was just working to surf. And then I, a friend of mine moved to a friend from college moved to South Korea, and I went to South Korea to go say hi, try to go surfing, and I got a job with an architecture company because that was when the Asian uh, economy was booming. The Asian tiger, they called it in the nine in the year in the early '90s, mm-hmm. mid '90s. Um, and I stayed there for a few years and it was when I was working in Korea that I understood and what has happening was their middle class was rising. They, they, they were first generation cars, first generation, two income families, first generation where also this, uh, the elderly were going to go into retirement homes and not live with their family. And it was a very big change. And I realized at that moment that I was. I was bringing, I was bringing a Western, everybody wanted Southern California. I was, you know, in Hawaii, I was designing Orange County stuff. In Korea, I was designing Orange County suburban stuff. And I realized I was destroying a culture, <laughs> a very historic culture of, 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 of how they took care of how families lived and took care of each other and passed down their inheritance. In Korea, your inheritance is passed down when you move in with the family, that, that, with your family as you're older to take care of you. Not when you die. You don't wait till you die, which is a little different. Well, they were blowing that up because they were going to retire and the young families, the middle class didn't want the parents living with them. And so um, I realized there was something wrong. And that's when I started looking into uh, really what what the heck am I doing? Why am I doing it? And um, it was when I was working in Singapore and I was designing um, port facilities, but it was a port facility that was importing workers from other countries that didn't bring their car. So if there was a port we were building in from the Singapore company in the Philippines, it had they had Malaysian workers. If it was in Malaysia, they had Indian workers. In India, they had, you know, it, everybody was being imported and nobody brought a car. So I was having to design like 10,000 units for people without a car. And that's when I realized, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I need to find this and I found, um, uh, the uh, next American metropolis by Peter Calthorpe because he was working in San Diego on the transit-oriented development uh, got design yeah, standards yeah. With, with Mike Stepner. That book got me like, ah, oh, this is what I've been missing. And if you go to the back of the book, he, the future, and, and, and it, 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 anyway, he's a Leon Creer was his was his um, uh, mentor uh, or his hero at Yale. With along with the others, and so from Calthorpe, I found Creer, and that was the point of like, mm-hmm. okay, uh, now I really am doing it all wrong, and got to work on it. And that's that was a long time ago, and the, and um, so that's my story. That that so, was, that I mean, was very good. That's really cool, Howard. Um, I uh, I didn't know all aspects of that. That's really that's really good to hear. So, if, so if, what if I end up doing to backtrack a little bit. You had well, you, what you I ended up doing. Had the, Sorry. You only ever had a geography degree, is that right? Yeah, but so what I ended up doing was, um, was from Singapore. Um, 
um, I went to London and I got a master's in urban design from the University okay. of Westminster in London. And I worked for the Princess Foundation because I wanted to work for Leon okay. Pierre. Yeah. So what that, that was 90s. Uh, uh, I graduated in uh, uh, 99, 2000. I graduated in 2001. So Okay, so it was in that era where you like, did you actually meet Creer in that area and start to get to know him? Yeah, I I yeah. I, okay. I met him briefly when I really uh, yes, that's where I. But then uh, uh, John Anderson, who you had uh, on here, I believe, right? You had John mm -hmm. Anderson on this spot. Yeah, um, he had yeah. a Charette and Chico, and uh, two thousand three, and so and so because I we kind of knew each other. I sat at the table with Leon and Jeff Dyer, <laughs> and we became uh, very close at that time because we, you know, we were working together for days on end. But so yeah, so I, I got my master's in urban design and started with the whole new urbanism in New York and been there, been doing it ever since. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's really cool. So I had forgotten that you were on that. That was the Marion Park Charette in Chico, yeah, uh, which I was originally going to be on, but then. I w then I wasn't there because I had a conflict. Um, and, and so it was one of those that I'd like kicked myself ever since because of the chance, the opportunity to, you know, sit with Creer and, and work directly with him. Yeah. Um, it, okay. So that's, was... that's really cool. So I, I think that's important. Let's tie it together then a little bit because Creer, you know, Creer obviously has a very sharp critique of um, the American grid and a lot of uh, the American grid cities. Why don't he even had a very sharp critique of uh, Savannah. I remember uh, when he was there that he, I remember one of the things he said was that if you took the landscape away, that the squares wouldn't hold together. Uh, and it was really the trees in many ways that kind of held the squares together, which is kind of, which is an interesting comment, but uh, you know, his, his critique of American cities and, and more of what we might call a cranky or what we used to call a medieval town pattern was something that you really, then latched onto. And I think you've, you've studied different ways to try to adapt the American city grid for that. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things, so it was fortunate was, uh, uh, I was able to bring Leon to San Diego for, uh, book tours and projects and, uh, uh, um, uh, maybe four times. And, um, one of the, th one, one evening he just started, we were talking about, uh, how to make urbanism in the grid. And he came up with the idea of just this one wiggle and it was called, we call it the career corner. And, uh, but then I mm -hmm. did something a little different. We called it a career corner with a blacks and twist and it became a, it could be a drink if you really <laughs> think about it. But um, the idea that, um, you know, there, the, the, um, it doesn't take a whole lot to create interest in this. Is, I think it's a part of the strong town sort of, 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 of approach is that, you know, incremental, small scale one, it doesn't take a whole lot, just one wiggle in the grid. That's where your center becomes. And from that center is where, you know, you can have the most mix of uses, the most intensity. And then it goes down to being, you know, more either residential or more this or more one thing. And then it goes back up again. So you don't have to change everything. You can't reconfigure the grid into a medieval pattern. If you did, you'll just do it block by block and it becomes isolated on its own. That's not good either. But it's just there, there was the idea of creating these centers with where offset intersections where your focal, your viewpoint was, you know, terminated by a building. So you had to come to a stop and move around it. And we had, and it was actually the same turning uh, configuration for buses and trucks as a roundabout. It was very simple. I think it, it still has mm -hmm. a lot of merit. It's still, it, we were able to get it into the, the general plan of San Diego is that one of the options for um, um, uh, road uh, configurations. Um, and we've done one in Chula, city of Chula Vista in their town center where we just offset the grid, put a, a museum out there and it's, it's working. It's a plaza as a main, as the hundred percent corner intersection that you drive through. And so, um, uh, but the idea of, of complexity, adding complexity is what I think Leon is, is really saying. And that complexity comes at the scale and the speed and the, and the dimensions of a human, you know, and that creates, you know, mm -hmm. such a diverse universe of architecture and, 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 and landscape and, and engineering that it, it changes everything, which is, you know, and I know about um, the new urbanism versus, you know, conventional suburbia. Now we still build a lot of conventional suburbia and well, I have a, 
thoughts on that. But um, uh, the the idea of have a more humane or um, urban environment is still being struggled with, and something that we, you and I, have been doing for twenty five years plus. Um, and um, we're it's it just takes time to change from you know those planning layers that we were the trends that we were talking about. And I think we're in a transition and we're still having to achieve that whole mixed use walkable uh, urbanism pattern that we're looking for because the feds don't finance it. The feds don't in, 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 invest in rail and of uh, and financing for mixed use buildings the way they invested in freeway interchanges and federal insured uh, single family home insurance. We don't have the federal government doing it yet. We got the state telling us to do the housing, but then you've got the local um, uh, uh, municipalities trying to figure out how to do it all. And so it's just kind of a hodgepodge because I think we're in that transition that when you went from the, the pre-industrial uh, pre urbanism to industrial urbanism, there was a transition. We didn't really start driving cars mm -hmm. full time. It took us about 30 years to get from cars being out there to cars dominating. And then we were in it for another 30 years of car domination. And I think we're in that messy middle of being out, coming out of car domination. Yeah. And it's just going to take a while because <clears> the <throat> U.S. West is, a, is still fairly new. We didn't get rich. Our cities didn't get rich until 1957, 1952, yeah. whereas Buffalo got rich in 1890. And, and New York's been rich yeah. four times since the 1600s. You know, it's, it's when your city kind of got its oomph that that trajectory right. goes on for a very long time yeah i New mean Orleans, a couple of things yeah. come to mind I, 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 yeah i mean and, and I, I often think about this when people compare american cities to european cities which you know dumb it, 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 it's totally dumb because you think of a city like amsterdam you yeah. know it had it had its wealthy period 500 years ago or exactly. 400 years ago venice you know, there have has, been people <laughs> yeah I mean, yeah. Belgian cities, people have been living continuously in for like a thousand years. And, you know, so they have a very long urban culture. Uh, and our cities, uh, our cities are still really very new historically. A lot of them, even like my own city, like Kansas City, you know, we go back to the late 19th century with when we had a, our big growth period. Really, our big, our big wealth uh, period was probably 1880 to 1930. Trains. Um, which was a great, which was a great for American cities to, to be wealthy. But then, you know, what that meant was we were still a very young city when the car came along. And so it was, you know, like a lot of American cities, it was very easy to kind of toss that aside and, and yeah. just build the all new, you know, modern city for the car. Yeah. Um, it, 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 it's, it's, it, it also the, the, the growth, the tremendous amount of growth that happened at that time was able to easily obliterate that. Um, um, oh gosh, sorry, my to uh, obliterate that small town that started at the crossroads yeah. between where the um, and um, um, but anyway, um, I think that um, those patterns, you know, they stick. They they uh, become status quo. And, and as like you're saying, the Belgian city, it's the status quo of patterns and power and money has been there for 500, 600 years. I'm living in a house. This is the first building built on this land mm -hmm. in history. This is the first building. I'm in 1927. I'm 29 blocks from downtown. You know, there's not, it's, that's, it, that, it, it's, we're still so young. We're the eighth largest city in the United States. There's a, the alley down the street has a dirt path. It's never been paved in the history of San Diego. <laughs> and we're still like, just like I said, I can see downtown from my house, 29 blocks away. Um, we're still young. We're still very, you know, uh, light. We're not that we're not a heavy urban. Um, and, and Los Angeles has all those people, but they're all spread out over Los Angeles. There's very few cities in yeah. the U.S. West have that compactness that, you know, comes with, um, uh, you know, 500 years, 600 years of, development i mean even yeah. even san diego we've had this the law of the indies i talked about how old it is there was it was a garrison fort that nobody wanted the only people that were here were people that were in trouble back at home and um and so that's mm -hmm. that's our our stock is uh people that got in trouble in spain that had to come out here and occupy the mission for 400 200 years before anything really happened 
And um, even yeah. then, we couldn't make it happen because we couldn't get a railroad through here. Yeah. Yeah, and I've, you know, it's interesting you describe the the transition that we're in now because I, I feel like, you know, I've kind of described this as America version 6.0. Uh, and really that was, version 5.0 basically ended, you know, some point with maybe let's say 20 years ago. Uh, and and we have been working our way to something else since then. And uh, there's clearly been a strong embrace of uh, more walkable uh, communities and in a different pattern of development for our cities. Um, but it's not something that exactly just happens overnight and it takes years and years and lots and lots of investment for things to change. And, and like, just like the previous era took massive investment for us to create it and it still took decades. Yeah. And, um, I, that's a lot uh, today. The, the, the real political, um, crisis is, uh, for changing the cities coming from the Yimby movement, which is, you know, fantastic. Mm-hmm. Created a how you know they, they illustrated the housing crisis and the need to build cities and urbanism. But at the same time, they want to change everything all at once. And my point is, is okay. How much has we how much have we changed over the last twenty years? Measure that, and then project that forward. Okay, you want more? Great. We can we can plan for more. But you're really not going to change everything all at once because everything didn't change all at once unless you're Orange County. Uh, t- city in Orange County. Uh, the the uh, it took years to get there, and so that's uh, getting back again to the strong towns. That's why I think strong towns' approach is such a great approach to city building, where it's incremental. Yeah. Test it, do it uh, in small, many, many, you know, uh, like an urban acupuncture. Just get these pressure points mm-hmm. and keep on keeping on, and eventually we'll get there. And the, the, there there will be a different city twenty years from now or thirty years from now. Because yeah. I live in the different San Diego than it was 20, 30 years ago, as you just said. It was, we didn't build multifamily buildings here in the 90s for seven years. Not one multifamily building was built in the city for seven years here in the 90s. Hmm. The construction defect. Yeah. In a growing, uh, in a growing city. In a yeah. growing city. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's dramatic yeah. that we were only building suburbia for in the 90s, yeah. which is just, you know, just yeah. five years ago, 10 years ago, right? Oh. You know, uh, we'll have to talk about this another time, but you, since you didn't go to the CNU this year, you missed my uh, Yimby debate. So that was, that was a fun deal. I'll have to tell you about that another time, but yeah. Yeah. Um, so talk to me about, I I know you've been for, for a few years now, I've been talking about uh, what you call the next urbanism uh, as, as a response to sort of the evolution of things that we all worked on and talked about together with the new urbanism. What, what, what is the next urbanism? What do you, what does that mean to you? What it means to me is it's it's taking the the transect that you know the understandy transect of more urban to less urban um, on the on the horizontal plane, taking it vertical because in the last century we have built our urban centers have built towers and the towers as Leon Kreers as is properly said are just vertical cul-de-sacs they're they're just the you know the 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 um, the, the 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 elevator to the top of the tower the top of the tower has the bigger units that have all the view and then the bottom is where you have mix of uses and more intensity um at the street level um but so that's really just a transect on its on uh, its vertical uh, but it's isolated and it's uh, lot by lot or block by block and the idea that i'm trying to do is that there is we are now at the point of of enough vertical urban of vertical um living and vertical uh working that we should be able to have a a, that five minute layer above the city that um that starts to step up you know how sky bridges don't really work when they're that on that second floor they take away from the street remember in oklahoma city has sky bridges everywhere calgary has sky bridges and cold cities minneapolis and it just kills the street because that's because the, the that's because you've got the road right next to the road and you don't have enough right. um, private you don't have development in between the two roads you've over-engineered the roadway what you have to do if you put that sucker up at the sixth and seventh floor where you have the natural walkability of five or six a five minute walk that's a, a quarter mile walk from center to edge of a, a, a 1250 feet is equal to five floors in in your physical exertion of of walkability so 
five minute walk on the uh, at the hor at the at the horizontal plane is equal to about uh, 75 65 feet in the vertical plane so once you would get to that 65 75 foot area of that first walkability you can create another layer of walkability that has a, its own infrastructure that supports it and you're seeing a lot of you know the the um uh, high line in new york because it was a trend that every town proposed a high line in their town after that but the high line what, what the the the, the what was missed of it, the opportunity that was missed with the highlight was understanding that you can have streets and parks at an upper level and it works if you have a very dense city like New York. So the idea is how would you do that in San Diego? And and so looking at the next the next urbanism, in my opinion, is creating a series of, of vertical um, uh, place making that's within that five minute walk, but it's just compact and compressed into like four or five blocks. Um, and then you could have four or five blocks connect to another four or five and you end up with a a district one of a careers quarters or uh, um you know it, it, it just becomes a neighborhood um a district that has an intense amount of urbanism at a much less infrastructure expenditure and land expenditure so that to me is the next urbanism is is the actual idea of taking the new urbanist walkability connectivity complexity mix of uses to the floors six through twelve and beyond. I'm I'm a little blown away, Howard, because that's just very not career like. Uh, oh, and he hates it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, the the man who doesn't like anything taller than what the five story city. Um, well, but he's right. But he what he's where he's wrong is that there he's he's where or I think he's wrong is that. He doesn't understand that there's a context. Now we we design in context. I design if I'm in a suburban context, I can do my suburban retrofit stuff to make it more urban. But then when I'm in an urban area, I use my urban tools. Well, if we can't pretend like there isn't a context of a vertical downtown where we have buildings that are mm -hmm. 20, 40 uh, stories stories up, and pretend like we're just going to design for the walkable part because there, there are walkable levels. Now they, it changes, uh, it's not exactly the same repeated, but it is, there is a context to design within. And so that's what I'm trying to do is acknowledge the context, which does, so it, it, which is the right thing. Is this kind of a response then to just development patterns that you have seen in and around downtown San Diego over the last couple of decades? Because I know there's been a lot of development of almost like the Vancouver model with you know the yeah the, the babies so vancouver was vancouver played a role in the development of u.s west cities the redevelopment revitalization of u.s west cities it was baby urbanism it truly was a vertical cul-de-sac and it was meant to be small point tower not that many units very suburban surrounded by townhouses with a townhouse wrap you know, and that's that is baby urbanism light. There's one door and you go in through the parking garage. Everybody's safe. Nobody's looking. Don't talk to me. And uh, you be quiet and I'll hide in my balcony. And and then uh, then you go to Chicago. So that was so and that ends up making a sky a figure. You know, I have a figure ground. Well, we can also look at a figure sky and see just how much. And, and then you take. So that's a Vancouver is a very light figure sky. There's lots of spaces between the towers. Go to a. Chicago or Toronto, um, New York, you know, the spaces become much more uh, dense in, in the sky. And so um, uh, the Vancouver model in the U.S. West created the opportunity for people to come back downtown because it was suburbia, urban light. And now it's time to take that next urbanism. That's where the hmm. that's where the next comes from. Fill in the gaps. Let's make some robust buildings that 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 um, 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 fill in that suburban retrofit the um, uh, Vancouver Point Tower in our downtown. So okay. that's where it comes from. And so I don't think I've seen. Have, have you drawn this? I don't know if I've seen it visualized. Yeah, I, I presented it in Oklahoma City at the CNU with Andres Duani, who actually said it was the best presentation he's ever seen. Now. He's oh, not yeah, one. Sure. He's not prone to hyperbole, <laughs> <laughs> but I took it as a real compliment. Yeah, um, I, I've 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 drawn it. Um, there's a lot of trends right now. Kansas City actually has one of my um, case studies. There's a you have a um, entertainment district downtown where there's these. They have a street festival area, and then you mm -hmm. go up the hotel five floors, and there's three hotels that all line up in a row that have a 
have a, a entertainment zone on that fifth floor. Then you have the hotel towers, but there's lobbies in there. And my thought was the looking at that was like, okay, I can do that across the street too. And I'm able to link my common area so that here's what happens is, is you have the pool in the common area right across from the, the, the private balcony, back balcony of the other, and you're creating conflicts. If I can plan where in three dimensions, if I can plan in the three-dimensional building where my public spaces are, my common spaces are, where my workspaces are, where my retail and where my housing is, then I can then I can coordinate those block to block to block. Then I can begin to connect things. And so the idea also came from a, a three-dimensional um, code, a zoning ordinance for downtowns, because our downtown has a very uh, two-dimensional zoning code and it creates conflicts with the big towers that come in. And so uh, I presented that as a, 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 a code for um, San Diego's downtown community plan. That's part of where it is, too. So, yeah, I have a website, uh, howardblackson.com. It's if you look up next urbanism. I've okay, got a few got, presentations. Like, yeah, the, the presentations on there that we could share. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'd like to yeah. do that. Yeah, it, the, it, it's, it had, the, the reason why it has merit is because, um, in my opinion, is because we're not going to be able to, we're not going to invest in the same kind of infrastructure. We're not, one of the, one of the issues with this mixed use walkable urbanism as we get further from the core is that our cities, our suburban cities were designed with this, this, this pipe size with, for this one bathroom in this large strip mall. And now we're going to add 150 bathrooms to the next to 150 bathrooms. And we don't have the actual utility infrastructure we have to retrofit our infrastructure for miles to get to the urbanism out on the edge which is you know where we're heading further out from the core and so i think relooking at the core with different with different infrastructure and different utility um and that also is cheaper and uh, 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 they're already built in place is easier to fill people and housing and jobs and com commerce in than trying to retrofit the utility infrastructure and create new buildings out on the edge that are going to be this mixed use walkable stuff. There is an efficiency. Yeah, it's almost, to it. you know, that, yeah, that, that's, it's interesting because that's def, a different level of the practical side of things, you know, in terms of suburban retrofit that we don't talk about much is the, just the infrastructure impacts. And, and it really does, the more you think about that lends itself to thinking about any kind of suburban retrofit as a very incremental, very small step change right. um because there, there just may not be the capacity to handle uh, a whole lot uh, just from the the pipes and uh, sewers yeah. and everything else um and thought about yeah that. there, that's really, and there's that's a lot of there's a there's a winnie moss from as a big thing in rotterdam uh rotterdam that uh, has this upper level um showing how to do upper level bridging and 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 uh, um corridors creating new corridors at this upper level because they're not going to be for cars it's going to be for pedestrians it's a pedestrian corridor and so um there, there's there's examples that are out there and one of my favorite too is the city of i'm um, sorry um university of california san diego has this new live learn uh district that they built that has different community uh different parks and play fields and meeting areas on the ground floor that are are, are very typical mm -hmm. But then when it goes up six floors, they have the the the, first, the six floors are mostly administration and classrooms. Um, so it has a, a retail and things of that nature. And then the housing is on the six through twelve floors above. And so on the rooftops of the of the mixed use buildings, it has those community amenity and parks and connections there. And it's connected in a campus is a a full um, a, a, like a full district of about 25 acres. And then you're able to add a tower element into it, it adds even more housing that dumps even more people instead of all on the ground floor, it dumps people into the, the mid floor and the ground floor. So it, it's really creating this um, immersive district that's three dimensional places um, and three dimensional mm -hmm. uses. And it's, it's beautiful, it's working great. So there, you know, and, and you have to have places, that's what, you know, universities, you have to have, somebody's got to build it with a subsidized sort of thing before anybody will start doing it privately downtown with a zoning ordinance. Yeah. Yeah. So Howard, one, one of the things that's interesting uh, about you, I think is that, you know, you live in a place uh, that you care about a great deal and practice there and but you've also why nobody no, 
But Kevin, nobody asked me to do this. Why did I take this upon myself? Who do I think I am? <laughs> is the question. Like who who the heck do I think I am that I'm going to be the steward of San Diego urbanism? That's that was, that was yeah. that, I think that was silly. Um, yeah, but, uh, because but I mean, no. most it's interesting because most you know how it is. Most professionals are not vocal about things in their own community. Well, I don't get a whole lot of work uh, from the certain mayors. <laughs> Some mayors like me more than others. Uh, yeah, I've been fired by a mayor. Um, and uh, uh, but um, um, no, it, it, I, 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 I uh, God, you know, talking about myself. Okay, a, a good friend of mine said, uh, who's a journalist in town, uh, said, um, I have I have a unique role where. Um, I'm fortunate. I didn't do it on purpose. It came out of my advocacy. When I found the new urbanism, I found religion. I found, you know, passion. I was so excited about that finding purpose in my job after doing it for about six years or so, just kind of doing it to pay for the bills to go surfing across the world. There's a good surfing <laughs> in the Philippines and Bali and Singapore, you know, there. Anyway. Um, and 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 I had this advocacy because I could see the problems now, and, and and I was working for the county government, I was working for the city, I was working, and I, I was you know at, we got to stop this, and it was like Don Quixote and tilting at windmills, and everybody said you're crazy, and then I oh by the way I was right, and now I have credibility because 20 years ago when I was advocating for these things, everybody who said you can't do it is doing it, so I have that credibility. Number one. Number two, I also did advocacy with advocacy groups. So I would speak to the communities and I'd go to the communities and I'd say we can do things better. And I was so there was a I had a relationship with the with the community uh, at large that um, not a lot of uh, not a lot of professionals had. So I had credibility in both the the, the building and the built profession where I could I make I, you know, I make money for developers. I, I help build mm -hmm. cities. And I also advocate for change and I advocate for um, better mixed use walkable, you know, environments that have parks and streetscapes and, oh, how about a crosswalk, you know, simple thing, a parklet. We were doing parklets so long ago and now parklets are everywhere, right? Parklets became a thing for COVID. I was the parklet guy of San Diego, you know, so which was nice. Um, now it didn't, it took a long time. It took a, you know, it took a pandemic, uh, but, uh, um, um, so I have a bit of credibility on both sides of the issue. So whenever an issue pops up in San Diego, which always does, right? A big redevelopment here, or a big project there, or a big proposal there. I have the ability to make ideas. I can. I don't get. I don't get the community saying, "Ah, oh, you're a developer shill." No, I do, but they're few. But overall, they'll listen. And then I don't get the development community saying, "Oh, don't listen to him. He's a, you know, he's a, a gadfly just trying to start trouble." I, I've actually, and that to me, that's just I'm so lucky and so fortunate that I'm not run out of town, um, um, and I'm able to to try to transcend both worlds. And it's just because you know I care, I guess, and everybody sees it. Yeah, it's I mean, obviously, yeah, obviously, what comes through is that it's because of because of a love of the city that you're in and that you yeah. are from. And so, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. that's a big part of it. Um, yeah. So does it, does it still at this point, like in your career, does it like cost you work? Does it make you enemies? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, um, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, they put me like, I, mean, I, I get just... put on, I get put on committees to, so they kind of <laughs> shut me up. That's the, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm, I get put on a committee so that they, you know, they, they don't want to, if he's going to say something, we might as well have him in here. Right. And that was the way right. we don't have to listen to him. And uh, so I do get a bit of that. No, I mean, I, I have clients, uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm able to work for pretty much anybody. And I know a lot, of, I know at my age, I now know somebody, you know, in, in the departments that I'm working in, I try to do my best to help. I try to help the development services department as much as we possible development there. services in the city of San Diego is having a terrible time trying to uh, recover from COVID trying to do go all online and it's I'm not easy. So, uh, I could be uh, being an agent of change. I can be nicer, kinder about it all um, because change is hard for people. People don't naturally mm -hmm. embrace change. And so, um, you know, upsetting people. Yeah. I, I've, I have, but um, 
I've also um, um, uh, I've done enough to have some some credibility in it, right. and even things like um, the Pla the Plaza de Panama in Balboa Park, I had a hand in putting that together, and everybody fought it. It was you know you lose parking, and all of the museums are going to die, and um, and that we ended up doing the Plaza. The Plaza is so successful that every museum is actually upgraded, and we're about to get Norman Foster's first building in Balboa Park because they've hired him to do one of the buildings on the square. So, um, yeah, so, you know, being right helps. Yeah. And, but, and but I guess I got lucky not, and maybe not being an asshole. I think that also helps too. So. Yeah. But I, but I have been, and I'd like to apologize to all the people out there who <laughs> listen to this and go, that guy was a jerk <laughs> uh, because yeah, I mean, I don't think, I, I, I don't think I was, you know, you gotta be a little, that's the whole new, you know, therapy of America thing uh, post COVID too is. Uh, I, I should be, you should be a little understanding that people are working with what they know the best they can. Not everybody has the same background, the same knowledge. Not everybody got to work with Leon Creer, you know, in college. So um, I, I do try now to be uh, more gracious with the people I'm in opposition to. Yeah. So one of the other things that you've talked about that's pretty cool and unique about San Diego for our small developer friends is you have this, uh, culture of architects becoming developers um you want to talk yeah. about that for a minute and how that's taken off there yeah and this will be the second time i've had the conversation today um um earlier i was talking with a real estate agent who's trying to figure out how to the, the new process of building housing in san diego which has just just changed dramatically in the last four years of the new state laws um the, the the Woodbury School of Architecture um, had a, a, a small annex in San Diego, and they allowed two really tremendous local um, architects, Jonathan Siegel and Ted Smith, who all with, with Rob Quigley um, um, and, uh, are are San Diego's you know best. And uh, both of them are also they they build their own they build their own uh, projects. They're their own their contractors. So. Uh, they had a program called the Masters in Real Estate Design uh, Architect as Developer. Masters in Real Estate Design was MRED. And so they had uh, about 10 to 12 students every year, and they had it for about 12 years, 13 years. It just ended um, two years ago, I think, as Woodbury's closing down in San Diego, which is too bad. But, but every year, um, 10 students would actually build a project. In this, with their for their for their um, for their um, diploma, and um, they all stayed together, hmm. and they all became this club. So every year they graduate ten, about six of them would stay at San Diego, and the thing that they did that I admire so much, and I see in the new urbanism, um, is they would share their information. They shared comps. If somebody was building something new, they would help find comps for them to use so they could finance it. They shared the the zoning tricks and tools that they learned now. You know, you could use a covered porch to create a whole new, you know, twelve new units. Um, and um, um, uh, they would share um, um, uh, 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 all of their their performance. They would open their they would open their spreadsheets up to each other. They shared their numbers. Developers don't do that. Developers inherently hide because of speculation. They don't want, but because these these folks were trained, they have the same language, the same heroes, the same you know, knowledge, the same um, intent, then they were, they were the ones that were building on that edge right out of where the safe building was that would get all the, you know, Tokyo, London money. Um, they were building at the, at the edge of urbanism. They were finding and groundbreaking. And now there's about 60 of them and they meet every month and they have, uh, they have their own culture and they're fantastic because now they're also doing some, the best work in San Diego. So they're helping to shape policy shape regulations now. Andrew Malik, whose uh, father would graduated Yale with Duwani and, and, and Polyzoides and, and Calthorpe. They were, he was a part of all that. His son is, is here uh, developing now from, and he's a new urbanist uh, architect as developer guy. And hmm. he's just killing it um, with transit oriented, affordable housing uh, development. And it's really a unique San Diego thing because I think the, the thing is it saves money. The, the 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 it takes so long to get through the development process the entitlement process 
And there's so many iterations. If you don't have a design, if you're just a developer who hires a designer who's going to eventually hire a contractor, you're going to make mistakes along the way and take take more time than you need because the laws are so convoluted. The laws are so many options that unless you know how to sketch on the fly and 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 um and make changes in your concept as you're moving towards you don't even know what you're moving towards you can't you got to get there as quickly as possible because things are so incredibly expensive here time wise um i think that they're winning in the time game and and then they also they share all their information so they can move much faster there's not a lot of guessing they know what the market's doing and they know what the codes are doing and they know what the construction technology is doing and they're sharing it and they're doing it i i I admire it because it does two things other that I don't think they really know they're doing, which is they use a San Diego vernacular of, of building materials. There is they mostly use a concrete base and it has the um, the, perfor- the, the raw concrete with the studs like the Salk Institute, which is a San Diego great mm-hmm. concrete building. And then they have the mid-century modern. They like that they're, they're modernists. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Siegel is a devout modernist. Ted's a, con- a, a contextualist. Um, they have the vertical accent with the horizontal banding of the mid-century modern uh, building with the Florida uh, um, ce- uh, um, ceiling windows and balconies. And then they have some sort of little faux stainable roof that looks like a mm-hmm. butterfly roof or something like that. It acts like it looks... And they most of all have those three sorts of elements. Those are very San Diego elements, and it's a very San Diego architecture. It feels good, hmm. um, and so um, I I just think it's a and and then it it, it builds at the scale. It teaches, it grows, it teaches people. Uh, uh, they hire people. They 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 have jobs. It's job creation. Um, they teach more people to do it. It's a growing uh, group. Um, I, I think it's an economic engine for uh, uh, um, communities of. Now communities of concern, the communities that are, are, are that are stagnant market-wise, they're able to get in there, build, and add jobs. They're doing they're doing great work, um, and um, um, I couldn't be more you know uh, intrigued or proud of of a certain architectural um, technology that's come out of this our city because we have you know, that's that's very rare. Yeah, that's it is rare. That's really interesting. It's a fascinating story, and uh, I mean, was Jonathan. Yeah, was Jonathan really the the linchpin for creating all that? I I think yes, I, because here, here's what he was so successful. He and and he was also a very good salesman. Very he's he's he speaks. You know he's he's engaging. He's confident. You know he's handsome. He's fun. Uh, and he really uh, uh, um, made a splash with his his own development. Here's what he's done though. This is what I, I think he's fabulous. I think he's. Um, He's sold. He so they all of these developers they 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 do is um, rentals. So they're they're building assets. Well, Jonathan has this past year uh, sold all of his um, apartments, and he's going to self finance a tower downtown. Hmm. Wow. Self finance a twenty two story tower downtown. Hmm. Holy smokes! Yeah. You know. Um, and he's also doing the vertical urbanism thing too, because he stole the, he took the air rights from the historic building that's next door, and he so he was able to build the building. He has it steps up from the corner, and the, he's got the the tall part of the building of about 40, uh, 50 feet in from the corner, and it steps down to the corner to the historic building, and it's all integrated into one building, and it has outdoor spaces on the upper on the sixth seventh floor here, and then it has the pen. I don't, it's 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 I use it as part of the case study for the vertical or the next urbanism too. Um, I call it the erect transect. <laughs> oh, fantastic! Um, but um, yeah, very very interesting and very dynamic. Ted Smith is is one of those as well. So um, I think we're fortunate. Yeah, Howard, where are you working these That's days? A- I think you move around more than I do. I well, it's funny you say that. I, I've been with AVRP. Um, um, which is a downtown architecture studio for six years. Six years. Mm-hmm. Tell me I'm moving around now. Yeah, um, is that the longest? Stint? There, and is that the longest stint you've had? Yeah, I think it's so. I, and I don't even. It's just you know, and COVID. <laughs> I got COVID brain, right? Yeah. So you know, it doesn't feel like. No, I, and so um, um, the thing is that, um, uh, and I have been focusing mostly on San Diego for the past six years. The reason why I had young daughters and my daughters, my wife, you know, she works too. And so being home, not traveling like I had done with placemakers, which was we were traveling all over right. 
the nation and Michael Baker International. I was traveling all over. Um, and so, um, and I was with um, Stantec traveling all over. Uh, 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 but um, being focused in San Diego has been fun, but I do feel like it's, it's not, my daughters have graduated from both of them out of high school, uh, both going into college. And so I'm able to travel more. And I, I look forward to, you know, branching out my, my, my uh, work. Cause I, I am the town architect for Whitehall, Delaware, hmm. which is, you know, a long That's way a long from way San, from San Diego, Diego right yeah. now, but I can do yeah, more. No doubt. Yeah. I can do more. I'm a, I'm a few years behind here in terms of the you, kids going off to college. So, you know, well, don't you, don't you think you were um, architect as developer yourself? Uh, a little bit, but you know, and hopefully more as time goes on. I mean, that's the goal was obviously to do more, but uh, nothing like uh, you know some of the pros who've really done it, like Jonathan Siegel and and, and others who really dived into it completely. So, uh, but I think you know I talk yeah, to and and you I can... talk to young architects all the time about you know that I think it's an incredible path that they should really uh, start working on uh, and try to figure out a way to get into it because architects have a, an unbelievable advantage in the development game with the ability to visualize and to understand zoning. It's it's a huge advantage huge advantage and, and and then you bring in the the, under, the general contracting um ability mm -hmm. to 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 manage materials and 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 um, um is is an important part because what's happening in california now just so you know is in uh, the new housing laws are, are requiring instead of in, not just inclusionary housing affordable housing it's got inclusionary labor laws you're going to have yeah. to hire um a, a f some form of labor and but there should be incentives for that to offset the cost. Um, and so that's, that's going to, that's part of the new thing that I'm working on too, is an inclusionary labor law that has different labor uh, types of labor has different incentives associated with it so that everybody wins, they get the work, you know, we get the San Diego gets the jobs um, and uh, we can expand the labor market. And I think that development and land and development in San Diego is the best way for a local person to stay here because you're competing with these international jobs up on the Mesa for these life science and biotech and genoming mm -hmm. stuff. And, uh, and those, those, you know, how does the San Diego compete for that? Yeah. Well, land is development and building and construction right. is one of the best latent eco economies we yeah. have. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I feel like we are pushing our luck with the technology here. So we should probably move to wrapping yeah. it up. Um, we'll, we'll have to do it again sometime sure. when we figure out the, the uh, internet a little bit better, but uh, I do. Yeah, sorry. No, I mean, both of, actually both of us had issues. So uh, Howard, I do call this the messy city podcast. When, when, when I uh, say the, a messy city, you know, the a, sort of a more bottom up organic type place, what's some place that comes to mind that, that you think about that, that you love? Is a city, a messy could be a, city, could or be a neighborhood, a, could, an area with just could be city. a neighborhood. That's fine. Yeah, um, there's there's um, the, the the up and coming San Diego area right now that's messy, but it's in, in a positive way. Which even I, I had Leon look at it is a place called Logan Heights um, next to Sherman Heights next to Barrio Logan, which is uh, southeast San Diego, but closer to uh, closer to downtown. And the trolley runs through it. It used to be all commerce uh, used to be warehouses there's still a lot of warehouses there and so some of these these imred folks and um um the, the, these t incremental temporary um uh, they're called the rad lab folks are, are putting in modular housing and hmm. they're uh, repurposing the um the the, uh, the old um, industrial land which is is um, really just storage now and they're creating housing in common and uh, common spaces but what's really interesting is the state of california is going to is now allowing for going to allow for four fours uh, single stair mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. or apartments um up to four floors and that'll that that single stair that'll allow our small lot 50 by 100 lots to be to actually have a variety of housing types within it yeah. rather than just the one stacked flat that you're we're getting the same thing over and over again. And that's something that's called the Roman Palazzo building type that Leon and we when we walked around that area with a with that with the, my journalist friend, he kept saying, well, this is this is perfect for that. But it was illegal until this year. So I think um, that messiness is going to come with um, the, the you know, new technology on old patterns. And, yep. um, and I love yeah. it. it's got a trolley and, and a trolley runs through. Interesting. It. All right. Well, that's great. Well, Howard. Yeah. Good to catch up. Thank you. And 
Yeah, nice to see you. Thank you, you so bet. much. Thanks. Take care.